Welcome to the podcast arm of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Peculiar People's Parish, based in Regina, Canada. Our mandate is pursuing His purpose, pronouncing His power, and proclaiming His praise. You can subscribe to our podcast channel today, so you never miss an episode of our podcasts. Be blessed by this teaching. Say it very convincingly. What is the name? Jesus, right, because I feel like some of us are not saying it with conviction in our hearts. Jesus is that name, hallelujah. So I'd like for us to um, start from Hebrews chapter 7, from verse, I think the real scripture there that I would like for us to focus on is verse 25. I'll be opening my scripture here as well, as I trust that you will too. verse 25 it says whereby he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him so when it says he who is he referring to Jesus right Jesus is able to save them who is them us okay so Jesus is able to save me save able to save you once we come unto who? Unto God. Through who? Through Jesus Christ. Seeing he, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, it says that Jesus is able to save them to the uttermost. In fact, if we start from verse 22, it says, By so much was Jesus made a surety, of a better testament. What does a surety mean? A guarantee. So it says Jesus was made a guarantee of a better testament. So he was a guarantor of that testament. It was the guarantee, it was the surety, it was the security. Now, when you see a better testament, what does better mean? It is good. This one, there's a good one. This one is better. Okay. It is an improvement. What else again? Superior. So superior is actually the word I was looking for. It is a superior what? Testament. So let us apply that to us now. How many of us are citizens of this country? (laughs) Okay. So... For you to better understand your rights and be able to apply your rights as citizens, what constitution would you refer to if I gave you two constitutions? The first one is 2023 constitution. Let's make an assumption. And then 1960 constitution. Which one would you refer to? Why would you not refer to the 1960? It is what? I hear obsolete. What else? I hear still. What else? A cake. So there is a superior one. Excellent. We are going somewhere. Okay. So for you to be able to fully appropriate your rights and privileges as a citizen of this country, you need to refer to the Constitution. Now, it is not that the Constitution has lost its power. For you not to be able to appropriate your rights, what is wrong? What has gone wrong? 
You don't know. So ignorance is a big word, I know. But it's because you have not paid the price to do what? To search out. So you can hold a passport. Two individuals can hold the same passport. Same potentials. But you may not fully realize the fullness of that potential. Do you agree? Because why? One person has paid the price to explore. The other person has done what? Has decided not to. So that word it says salvation in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. It says I am able to save you to what? So when you see Otamos, what comes to mind for you? How would you describe Otamos? Yes, ma'am. End. To the very end. What is that end? Eternal. Eternal. So does eternity. eternity have an end? So what does it mean for Otamos? As far as your eyes can see. The degree to which we are able to appropriate salvation is the degree to which we take the limitations of what? Our minds. So you see, understand that scripture that says, and God is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly. Sometimes we need to pause on that scripture and ask ourselves, what does exceedingly, abundantly mean? Far above all that we can do, what? Ever think? Imagine. It's far beyond what we can imagine. So the salvation itself is like, how many of you are familiar with a broad-spectrum antibiotic? Right? What can it do? <laughs> Anything. So you cannot really say that it is, it is active for anything. So theologians will say that that word salvation is actually, actually refers to, I think, two ways, soteria or sozo, which means it is broad spectrum in its scope. The degree to which you are going to find it effective is the degree to which you are willing to explore what salvation has to offer you. So that you are saved. Remember that scripture that says, I believe in Luke chapter 9 verse Maybe 62. It says that if you lay your hands on the plow, and then you do what? You turn back. What does it say? You are not fit for the kingdom. So for some people, what they stop at is to explore salvation at the point where you apply Romans chapter 10 verse 10. If a man believes with his heart and confesses with his mouth, salvation is appropriated. But they never proceed further than that. We do not explore the width, the depth, the height of what salvation has to offer us. And the call to us today that I want to leave us with first is that God, he says, Jesus is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Jesus, seeing that he liveth to make intercession for them. So Jesus continues to live. The fact that Jesus continues to live, what attribute is that? When we say someone lives forever, what does that mean? He's immortal. So you are seeing the security there. The, the fact that you can continue to appropriate salvation means that Jesus is what? Immortal. It is his immortality that guarantees salvation. 
If salvation was by a man that would die, then we are limited. But the fact that Jesus continues to live, it means there is no end to how we are able to experience this mystery called salvation. What is the second attribute of Jesus that guarantees that covenant? Number two, it says that he has by an unchangeable what? Priesthood. Where do we have that? Yeah, verse 24. But this man, because he continues to live forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. What attribute is unchangeable? When you say someone is unchangeable, what does it mean? It is constant, right? Yes. What else? Integrity, immutable. So that means that the fact that Jesus, remember that scripture that says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The fact that Jesus does not change, Jesus does not change. His mood, you cannot meet him today and say, Jesus, I feel like you are feeling not so happy today. Yeah, no. Oh, Jesus, I think you are upset about what. Jesus does not change. He is immutable and he is immortal. So those two attributes are very important if we want to really explore salvation. So that means that when you start to experience God from the flesh standpoint, where it is subject to feelings, number one, know that that is not an attribute of God. So when you feel like praying, I mean, when you don't feel like praying and you feel, well, I can't pray because I don't feel like praying, know that God does not recognize that feeling. Because why? It is not his nature. Are we getting it now? When you wake up and you don't feel like fasting, it is about you. It is not about God. Because God does not change. In fact, the word holy means integrity. It means that God is the same thing as his word. Are we still together? Are we still following? Please, if I've lost you, let me know. So, First thing is, we want to establish the point that salvation is accessible only in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Number two, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. There is no limit to the salvation agenda. The extent to which we experience the salvation of God is the degree to which we are willing to remove the limits. Number three, Salvation is secured by two key attributes, is immutability and is immortality. Please do not forget, is immutability and is immortality. It lives forever and it never changes. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But you see, one of the challenges that I personally experienced is... I did not understand the nature of God. So it was difficult for me to understand how can I explore this salvation agenda further? How can I? How can you even experience something provided by someone and you do not even know that person? The true nature of God. So if I ask you, what, who is God to you? Who is God to you? Is my... Okay. What does that mean? Sir? No, it's okay. I don't, if you don't worry. Who is God to you? 
I need some other answers. My shepherd. What does shepherd mean? Is your protector, is your provider, okay? Is what? Is consistently there, okay? Who is God to you? Let's hear from this side. Your creator. Okay, so we've had father, we've had um, shepherd, we've had creator. In fact, that word father means source, the source of life. That is the word father, that is what it means. So when you see those things, they hold more meanings than just the word itself. So I want to point out three important attributes of God that we must all know in order to further our relationship as we explore what salvation means. Are we still together? So the first nature of God that I want to touch on is in John chapter 4, verse 24. Now, this is Jesus speaking here. It is not me. Who is speaking? Jesus. So let's look at John chapter 4, verse 24. He was speaking to the Samaritan woman. Shall we read together? God is what? He did not say a. God is what? Spirit. God is spirit. How many of you have taken alcohol before? <laughs> how many of you, okay, this, how many of you have been intoxicated by alcohol before? Have you wondered why they call that thing spirit? Have you, have you thought about it before? Can you explain where it comes from or where it goes? Can you explain your movement after intoxication? So I need you to think. So God is what? That means that the way he operates can never be discerned from the standpoint of where? The flesh. Another word for flesh is what? Canal. Another word is what? Is the sense knowledge. Five senses. Your ability to feel, your ability to hear, see. The sense knowledge is what that flesh is. So, it says God cannot be discerned from the realm of the flesh because God is what? Is spirit. Very important. The first point there is that God is a spirit. So God cannot be engaged through sense knowledge. God is not a feeling. God is not what? God is not goosebumps. Is not a feeling. God is a spirit. Is in fact, sorry, is spirit, not a spirit. Now, if God is spirit, then his realm must be what? If God is spirit, his realm must be what? Spiritual. Okay. And so, which means that his gifts and his abilities are what? Is that clear? So, when God gives you a gift, that gift must, by that law, be spiritual. Someone is asking and saying, why am I so confident? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. Aha. What does it say here? It says, for the Lord is a what? The Lord is also a what? The Lord is also a what? What will he do? The Lord is a judge. The Lord is a lawgiver. So whenever I see a scripture where Jesus speaks, it says, now the Lord is that spirit. 
where Jesus speaks, I take it as a law because he's what? Both the executive, both the judiciary, and also the what? Legislative. So God is the three in one. Can you imagine a man? Imagine your country. Or me, I'm from Nigeria. I don't know where you are from. But imagine that a man writes the laws. A man makes those decisions or implements them. A man also judges. What level of integrity will that person have? Can you imagine that you need that person for that consistency to happen? Now, that is how you start to imagine who God is. Integrity. That means, integrity means that he's not subject to corruption. He's, how many of you read the incorruptible judge? Okay. He's not subject to what? Corruption. He's not subject to corruption. So when they say that man is corrupt, it is a fallen nature. Where at that point we were with God at that level of incorruptible. Um, we were not incorruptible, anyway. Forgive my English. But then we fell. And so we were subject to variation. So the definition of that word incorruptible, you would find where that scripture says that every good and perfect what? Gifts. Comes from who? The father of light. In whom there is no what? That word variableness means that corruption. It means corruption. It means that you can meet me today. But the same person you will meet tomorrow is another person. Neither is there any what? Shadow of turning. So what I'm just here to do is to give you a perspective. In fact, when I took this, this um, I really approach this from trembling because right from Genesis to Revelation is the story of salvation. You can start anywhere. You would find salvation somewhere. So this is just a very linear or small perspective, and I trust that the Holy Spirit himself would expand this in our heart in the name of Jesus Christ. So which means that, let's continue with that scripture, John chapter 4 verse 24. It says, and those who would worship him, what does it say? What's that word? Must. What does it mean when you see must? Compulsory. What else? It's an obligation. Is that what I heard? That means that your opinion on that matter is not, is not needed. So you don't have an opinion. It says you must worship him. What? In spirit and truth. So your worship for it to be acceptable has to be done through the spirit. Spiritual transactions occur where? In the spirit. Spiritual transactions do not occur. Mm -mm. It is very important. Once we understand that we are ready to start to appropriate the mystery called salvation, which means that salvation is what? Spiritual. As New Testament believers, we have to spend time in the New Testament and approach the Old Testament from the lens of the New Testament. Otherwise, we will stay in works. We would even struggle to understand what it means to be saved. Salvation is first spiritual. Sanctification is spiritual. 
Righteousness is spiritual. But the challenge is, how do we then take that which is in our spirit and make it what? Visible. So that the word becomes what? Flesh. Are we still together? Okay. So, the second thing here I wanted to mention is, the spirit realm is a realm of truth and reality and is always superior to the physical realm. Any day, any time, it is superior to the physical realm. How many of you, well, I'm not sure, but I have I've slept sometimes and I have a bad dream and I woke up with aches on my body. What happened? Maybe none of you have. Some of us have been flogged in the dream before. Now, that is at one point when we were not renewed. But what was it that occurred that made that transfer? That you wake up, okay, let me put it in a milder way. Some of you are very um, powerful. How many of you were running in your dream and you woke up and you felt pains in your joints? <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm the only one. <laughs> I apologize. Okay. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that the spirit realm is superior to the what? I apologize. You know, me, I'm a learner. <laughs> now, the second point I wanted to make is that God is, so we've said that God is what? Spirit. Second thing is God is good. When you hear the word good, what does it mean? Now, remember God is spirit, so you cannot judge God or good on the basis of what you what? See with your physical eyes. So, what does good mean if you know God is a spirit? Is spirit. Okay. Everybody is saying, let me not err. So, it means that God is not subject to corruption. Number two, God is awesome. God is perfect. You see, when God created Adam, Adam was the perfection of human creation. Adam did not know how to die. Adam did not know what sin was. In fact, he could not, he didn't know what death was. That was why it took them 930. They had to learn how to die. That was why the devil had to bring them to the realm of the flesh so that he can introduce death into that bloodline. The God's ideal was that Adam was not going to die. But the devil had to slight God by ensuring that he introduced a system where man will be subject to corruption. Even at that, it still took him now 130 years for him to die. I'm sure I had to wake up and say, now I have to die. It was just impossible. But you can see that as death progressed, I mean, as sin progressed, what happened? The lifespan of man started to do what? That is why sin is very, very important for you to avoid. It is good to the flesh, but what it does is it opens a door for the enemy to find its way into the bloodline. Remember that when God pronounced the curse on man, he said to man, I mean, to the, to, um, on man and the serpent, he said, this woman will bruise your head, but you shall do what? 
bite. The serpent shall bite the heel. That heel is the flesh through which the serpent would always want to find an entry point. So when we say do not sin, it is not out of a legalistic approach. It is because that is the route which the enemy is always finding expression in the bloodline of men. And so what God did was to introduce atonement at that point. But you see, we'll continue. But let's stop there first. So God is good. is the epitome of perfection. Exodus chapter 33, verse 18 to 19. And Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. God said, I will make my goodness, my what? My entire goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will gracious to be whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The lesson there is that everything from God is good. We have to be very clear about that. If we do not approach God based on his goodness, it will be difficult to receive from him. Very difficult to receive from him. If it is God's will to lavish on us his goodness, then it must be our will to do what? To receive his goodness. If we want to align with his will. God is a good God. We need that understanding for us to be able to receive from him. The third point is that in order to maximize your salvation experience, you must learn how to receive from God. You must learn how to receive. There is nothing that you can give God. I have personally come to that conclusion. What we are on earth here to do beyond just allowing his life into ours and yielding our spirits to him is to constantly draw from him. That is why that song by, I think, Victoria Rainsay that says, I've come to draw, draw, draw. God, you cannot dim the light of heaven because you are drawing. In the country that I come from, there are certain loads that you put on the light. Once you put it, it drags. God cannot be dragged. Because if you understand who he is, is inexhaustible. I don't know. We used to put four stabilizers together to put. The third point is God is love. First John chapter 4. I just I'll just stop on those three. Chapter 4 from verse 7 is 8. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not who? God. Because God is what? So, knowing that God is love and that he loves you paralyzes the effectiveness of Satan's weapon against your faith. Let me take that again. Knowing that God is love and that he loves you paralyzes the effectiveness of Satan's weapon against our faith. You know, when we ask for God's mercy, what are we asking for? Is loving kindness. That is all we're asking. We're saying, Lord, I desire your loving kindness. God is love. So we must under approach him from that perspective. Love is perfect. Love is what? Perfect. And perfect love casts out what? Love is, remember we said good is what? Perfect. Perfect. 
So, what was the first emotion that Adam felt when he fell? What did he say to God when God came to him? He said, I was what? Naked. And then I was what? Afraid. He did not even know that he had sinned or that they had sinned because their conscience was not yet developed. So sin could not be imputed to him. Sin could not be credited to his conscience at that time. So all that he felt was fear. But you know what? They, took that, they didn't understand what it was because when you are with God, remember that scripture that says that when you keep your eyes on him, it will keep in what? Perfect peace. Peace is the absence of fear and anxiety. So when you align with God, you will start to experience. So one way that you start to see yourself mature in this journey of salvation is that your ability to fear will be decimated. Because you start to embrace the love of God. If you do not see God as love, you will still not fear. If there are areas in your life that you are still experiencing fear, you need to receive the love of God. Because scripture tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 5, it says that the love of God is done what? Where? Is it on your body? Is it goose, goose pimples? No. By the time you go to... Is this 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 or 1 Timothy 1 7? It says, God has not given us the spirit of what? What has he given us? What's the second thing? And what? Love first before what? A sound mind. It is very important to know this attribute because the mind is the major battlefield of the enemy. The major battlefield of the enemy, and that is also what God is after. When God created Adam, God called him what? A living soul. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, it says that the first Adam was a what? Living soul. The second Adam was what? A quickening spirit. It's very important to start to see those so that we can better understand how to appropriate salvation. Now, whole, only the Holy Spirit can minister the love of God. And hope, I mean, as we have in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, I think it says there, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. Praise the Lord. So, it is important for us to focus on those three elements. Number one, God is what? A spirit. So your prayers, your worship must be done from where? God is good. You need to understand that to be able to receive his goodness. Everything about him is good. And thirdly, love, God is what? Love. Please do not forget that. Very important. God is what is love. So let's then go back to what transpired. So when Adam sinned, because sometimes we need to go back to our history to see the things that we have missed, God's ideal plan. And so like I said, right from Genesis to Revelation is all the story about salvation. In fact, you can draw because the, the law was a foreshadow of the things to come in the New Testament. So God's design for man, for you and I, was that we would experience dominion. So when God created Adam, God called him a what? A living soul. 
But Adam was not matured spiritually. But his soul was usable by God. The reason why God requires our soul is so that it can also influence our what? Environment. When you go to Psalms 115, I think from verse 16, it says the earth of the earth, as it given to who? To men. To who? To you and I. But the heavens of the heaven, as it given to who? It's for who? It's for God. So God requires our soul for him to be able to influence our world. The devil also requires your what? Your soul for him to also be able to do what? Influence. So it is always a battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The moment you give your life to Christ, you are already in warfare. You are already in warfare. You cannot pick sides. When you go to Revelation chapter 3 from verse 15, it says that, I would rather that you either be hot or cold. God does not permit you sitting on the fence. So you would either give your life to Christ, receive the salvation of God, and start to move forward without looking back. Let us go to that Revelation chapter 3. I know your works that you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Verse 16. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will do what? Vomit you out of my mouth. Verse 17. Because you say, I am what? I have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are what? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. You have gone back to that point where Adam was, where he started to experience fear because these individuals put their trust in physical things that the eyes can only see. But God is inviting us into a deeper relationship with him for us to start to explore what it means by that new creation. So when Adam fell, the earth also fell with him. The earth also became subject to corruption because the dominion on earth was tied to him in constant communion with God. So he lost that part. And so from that time, the justice system of God was already at play to restore man to that original state where he could fellowship with God. Psalms 89 verse 14, it says to us that the throne of the Lord is made up of two layers. Number one is what? Justice. Number two is what? Judgment. And what goes before him? Mercy and truth. So the judgment of God kicked in because he had said any soul that sinneth shall die. They had violated something and so the judgment of God had to come in. Now, but you see, the justice of God is restorative in design, and it is activated by the mercy of God. So, the justice of God started to find a way to remedy that situation, to restore man to that initial state that they were. That justice system is activated by the mercy of God. By the blood of Jesus. So, if you do not understand the loving kindness of God, you will think that God is actually a wicked God. Because when he sent them out of the garden, many people thought, why would he send them out of the garden? Was it because of the sin? Why did he send them out of the garden? 
Why? Can anyone try? Yes, ma. I think because of the tree of good and bad. If they stay in the garden, they may eat out of that fruits and um, they will live. They will live forever? Yes. What is the implication of living forever in that state? They will live in, in sin. What is the effect of sin? Death. Corruption. Corruption. So you can imagine what it means if you constantly live in that state of, that means that disease will be eating your body, but you'll not be able to do what? So is God good or bad? Are you seeing it now? If you do not look at that from that perspective, you think that God just... So he did not want them to live in a state of corruption perpetually. So he had to send them out of the garden so that his justice system can then find a, a permanent solution to restore man back. Man cannot restore yourself. If a child falls into a gutter today, can the child get himself out? He needs a higher help. So we needed someone divine, not made of blood, of, of, of um, um, natural descent, to be able to take man out of that state and move him and save him. That was where Jesus then came in. So scripture says, and I'm going to jump the history of the law and how the law, the effect of the law on the flesh and how the law makes sin uh, more evident. How the law, because if you read the book of Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, it tells you about the law. If you keep the law, you can never be righteous. You can never progress in God. It will be difficult because you will be in works. And it says salvation is procured by grace. Through what? Faith. So when Jesus came, so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. So I have skipped a whole lot in between there because of time. From verse 17, what does it say? Therefore, we, have, we know that scripture a lot. If anyone is where? What does it mean to be in Christ? Is it a physical affair? What is it? How can you appropriate this verse? Through what? Faith. So, in Christ is a posture that you can only assume through faith. You cannot assume it through sense knowledge. It is not possible. That is why the carnal things, I mean, spiritual things do not make sense to carnal men. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says because they have to be spiritually discerned. So it says if anyone is in Christ, is a new what? Creation. The moment that you make that confession, what happens? What is a new creation? What does it mean to have a new creation? So? I'm so is <laughs> restored. Okay, someone says restored. What else? Sorry? A new life. What does a new life mean? She says no sin. Okay, what else? A redeemed. A redeemed life. Okay. The literal translation says you are a new species. Totally recreated. You are brand new. You never existed before. That is what it means. You are a new creation because it says all things have done what? 
It is a new face. Behold, all things have become new. At recreation, that is why it's called to recreate. You are actually brand new. What has happened is the nature of God has been imparted into that new species. Someone is asking me, how do I know? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. I'm sorry, I'm just moving back and forth, but I hope that we're able to take something away. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. Because many times when you read the epistles of Paul, Paul will sometimes say in Christ. Many times he will say with Christ. In him. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 and thereabout, you see, in him, in the beloved, we are seated in Christ where? It is not for sense knowledge. It is a, it is a posture. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse, let's start from verse 29. It says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Okay, but verse 30, but of him are you where? In who? In Christ Jesus. Okay, who of who of God is made unto us. Now, this is how God told me to read this verse. I want you to start from redemption. Who of God is made unto you what? Number one, redemption. So redemption means that you've been done what? What happened during redemption? What is redeem? To buy back. You've been repurchased. So when you read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says that you've been translated a bit from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That is what makes you a holy and a peculiar nation that we are. So number one is redemption. What is the second thing? Sanctification. What does sanctification mean? Someone said cleansing. What else? Set apart. Did someone say pure? Okay, set apart. Consecrated. In fact, sanctification is the quality of being usable by God. Now, it says Christ has made unto you, number one, redemption. Number two, sanctification. Is it by your works? Can you buy it? Can you achieve that feat? The day I understood this, this was when bad dreams stopped for me. Because I understood who I was and what was done for me. I did not procure this. I can never earn it. Nothing that I do can get this for me. Sanctification. What is the third thing? Righteousness. What is righteousness? It is, uh, that's, I know we say that a lot. What does right standing mean? Without sin. You know, redemption actually wipes away your sin. The blood, I'm coming, ma. The blood of Jesus is a cleansing blood. It says, in him we have redemption. Even forgiveness. I mean, the, Ephesians 1 7, the remissions of sin, right? The blood of Jesus wipes away sin. It cleanses it totally. The blood of bulls and rams, what does it do? 
it atones. It's very temporary. See, guilt is what the enemy would always place at our door that prevents us from exploring God more. Because you feel that you are not worthy. Why did the devil bring down Adam and Eve? The devil himself was experiencing rejection. If you read Exodus chapter 28, he called him an anointed cherub that was even placed over the gardens of Eden. So he understood the glory that Adam and Eve was experiencing. So what he was experiencing, he wanted Adam and Eve to also experience that. If you have experienced God and you break away from him, you are going to start to feel rejection. That is the root of many things called depression today. It is a withdrawal from God. So sanctification is the quality of being usable by God. Righteousness is the ability to stand before God without any guilt without any condemnation. So you can then sit in prayer and you are confident that God will hear you because that righteousness has been procured by the blood of Jesus. It is not by your works. It is the ability to stand before God without feeling any guilt. It is about waking up at any time that you want to pray and you know that God would always listen to you. And then the final thing is wisdom. So you can see the progression. Redemption, sanctification, righteousness, and then wisdom. Wisdom is the quality that God imparts into you to defeat the enemy. Every miracle that was done is a dimension of God's wisdom. Are we still together? So God can tell you, for instance, that stand up. Walk around your office seven times. That is the wisdom of God. What is wanting to do with that? It can never make sense to the sense knowledge. When God said, stretch your rod over the Red Sea, that is the wisdom of God at work. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it will say, if the princes of this world had known that wisdom in Christ Jesus, they would not have crucified him. Wisdom is when God is ready to show himself. So every man that has achieved great things in life has acquired wisdom, but it starts by understanding exactly what these provisions are in Christ. Christ has been made. So it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Does it make sense now who you are? You are not a pushover. In fact, I keep saying to myself, nobody can pay, nobody can value me rightly on this earth. Nobody can pay my worth on this earth because I am worth the blood of who? Jesus. So I should set my rates, not somebody should set my rates. It is a below. It says creature is waiting for the earnest expectation of who? The sons of God. If we do not know who God is, we will not know who sons of God are. We have to press him. Hmm. Praise the Lord. So, let's go to that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, if any man be in Christ, 
It says, he's a new creation. All things have done what? Passed away. Behold, all things have become. Let's go to verse 18. Now all things are of God. Who has what? Reconciled us to who? Who is himself there? God. Through who? And has now given us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. What Adam lost was communion with God. In fact, the spirit of man has three aspects. Number one, the, the wisdom, intuition, the ability to appropriate the revelation of God and manifest his work. Second thing is conscience. That is the regulator of the heart that tells you whether this is good or bad. The third piece is the piece around communion. And all these are scripturally based. So, for example, you find communion or fellowship in Philippians chapter 1 from verse 2 and 3. And then, of course, conscience you find in, I think, Hebrews chapter 9 or thereabout. But those are the three things. What Adam lost at that point was communion with God. That is all that Jesus had come to restore. He says, and he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Everything, your salvation experience, you have to return back into intimacy with God. And what I keep saying is, as a New Testament believer, you have to be conscious of the indwelling God in you. First, first, it says, he that is in me is greater than who? You have to be very conscious that you are a mobile carrier of God. That is the God inside of us. The God that is all powerful is inside us. So that means that when you speak with that understanding, you are expressing the communication of God inside you. Everything that you do is dictated by the Spirit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17. It says, he who is joined to the Lord is what? Are you seeing it there? The moment that you have the Holy Spirit. In fact, for us to understand this, let's look at Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. It says, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin and you shall receive the what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. It says righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That is what? The kingdom of God. When you receive the Holy Spirit, what has come inside you? The kingdom of God is already inside of you. Jesus himself said, Luke 17, 21, he says, look no further to the left or right. He says the kingdom is already what? Inside of you. Your salvation, the ability, he says, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. The Holy Spirit himself is the anchor, is the kingdom of God inside of you. So for you to appropriate that salvation experience, you have to master that gift. So Paul said to Timothy, he said that I will, um, how did he say it? I put the remembrance that you do not neglect the gift 
that is inside you, that has been laid by what? That has been imparted by what? The laying on of hands. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The degree to which we're able to engage the gift of the Spirit, that Holy Spirit inside us, is the degree to which we're able to appropriate salvation. So when you pray, in Jude chapter 1 verse 20, it says, pray what? In tongues. Can we have Jude chapter 1 verse 20? It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most what? Holy faith. Praying what? In the Holy Spirit. As you start to pray in the Holy Spirit, as you start to engage that spirit in you, it's like when you have a SIM card in your phone. Your phone is useless without a SIM card. Is that not true? But the moment you put in a SIM card, what happens? It comes alive. Now, you can now start to explore those applications that are on your phone that otherwise would not have worked if that SIM card was out. Those applications are dead. So when you sit back and you engage the Holy Spirit by praying in tongues, what you are doing is you are giving expression to the voice of God on your inside. You are building that up. What I can tell you that will start to happen is that the Holy Spirit will start to give you visions of what you are meant to be. Those are the first things that the Holy Ghost will start to do. You will start to get dreams of who you are meant to be that he has ordained you to be. But the challenge always is that, and I'm just trying to wrap up here, is many times when the nature of God has been imparted, remember we're a new species, we carry the nature of God. When those dreams come, when those things come, they meet a brick wall in our own renewed soul. Because that soul is not renewed and so cannot correctly interpret those speakings. The spirit is always wanting to speak to the soul. The soul has to be renewed in order to correctly interpret the speakings of the spirit. So when others go for power and they go for the prophetic, what happens is they are focusing more on the external to land as a gift of the spirit on their souls. And so as a result of that, their unrenewed minds will just express what the spirit is saying in the wrong way. The best thing that can ever happen to a believer is to master the indwelling of the spirit. So that is why it says that we now have to take the word of God, which is a mirror image of that spirit man that has been recreated. And as a baby, desire the sincere word, milk of the word, that you may do what? Grow thereby. When you now sit with the word, that word reformats your so, so that the speakings of the Spirit can find a throughput. Jesus said, he said, if the eye be single, have you ever thought about that verse? It says, your body shall be full of light. It's saying that if your soul is renewed and your spirit is aligned, alignment, two eyes, one vision, what does it say? There will be manifestation. The unrenewed mind is what blocks the speakings of the Spirit most times that prevents us from seeing an expression of what the Spirit is saying. That is the importance of consecration. We have to renew our minds by the Word. So reading the Word is not a, a religious activity. It is not. 
it has to be very systematic, very serious. When you read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says that the word of God is like a sharp sword, two-edged. It pierced between what is the spirit and what is the soul. I will give you my personal experience and then we can pray. Because I went to, I mean, I put in up to seven years, many times in school, while studying for my degree, we used to write notes. We would write notes that, after I would drop the pen and do like this, we would write notes from 8 to 5 p.m. Our notes could be this huge, and I'm not kidding. We write. Now, up to today, I feel pain in this, my finger here, that I used to hold pen. Now, that was how my soul was programmed, my mind. When you see him, this mind is just an impressionable organ. It's not either through the flesh, the five senses, or through the spirit. That was why you must subject it to the education of the spirit. Now, what the Lord told me, he said to me that, see, it took you up to seven years to program that brain in a way to study and assimilate information. Why do you think it would take you lesser for the world to also find its way? So that way I understood that I had work to do. So I took another pen and paper and I would start to write the same way that I wrote so that I can alter that process and create new pathways for the spirit or for the word of God to find expression. Are you understanding what it takes? Re, um, renewing the mind is hard work. <laughs> it is hard work. Oh. Every time that a child spends in, in front of the TV is equivalent to the time that you would spend to renew the mind fully. Because what you are doing is you are programming him in a way, in the world's way. So if you see my home now, I have books, I would just start writing writing because i have to unlearn those things that i learned jesus said come unto me and do what and learn of me mind renewal is the process of being usable by god it is a very painful process very painful process that we must all go to and it says i think in first peter Chapter 2, verse 9. It says, the end of our faith is what? The salvation of our soul. Receiving the end of your faith, even what? The salvation of your soul. What I want to leave you with today is that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. The degree that you're able to engage him is the degree that you're able to experience that salvation. You can sit down and start to ask yourself, be honest with yourselves, in what areas am I failing to see the salvation agenda? Is it in my finances? There are things in this book that can change that today. Sons of God don't run after money. Money runs after them all. It's what you believe. Sons of God don't run after jobs. Jobs apply to them. Renew your mind in that area. Sons of God, they understand the mystery of marriage. If your marriage is suffering, renew your mind in that area. We need to sit down and be very methodical, conscientious about how we are renewing our minds. 
What are those areas that you need the intervention of God? Sit with the scripture, write it down, and start to ask yourself, this is, ah. I will give you another example. When I was really doing all these things, I wrote down a list of graces that I wanted. But I was looking for shortcuts. I was not willing to put in the work. So when God said, labor that you might enter, the labor dimension is that mind renewal. It is the powerful thing that you can never do to yourself. Give it time. You will see the results. I was looking for graces. But God said to me that when you look for grace, you are looking for shortcuts. People that look for grace are those that are just wanting power. Power is the cheapest that you can get. When you find authority, power must follow. So in the name of Jesus... He says, and he has given him a name when he coronated him in Philippians chapter 2 from verse 9 to 11. He says, and has given him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall, must bow. That is the highest rank ever. And you know that hierarchy is a language in the spiritual realm. So what he says in the name of Jesus is... When you step into that name, in Proverbs 18 verse 10, it says the name of the Lord is a what? A strong tower. In a strong tower, you have several control buttons. You have not even mastered one. It says when you step into that name, what is being seen in the spiritual realm is someone wearing the garment of a five-star, the highest rank ever. In that name, they are not seeing you. They are seeing who? Jesus. It is not your power. So when I speak, I'm not speaking based on my own ability. I'm speaking based on the name in whom I reside. Name in the spirit realm is an identity. It is not what we call you by. It is how you appear, how you show up in that realm. So when you say the name of Jesus, you are saying the one with the highest rank ever. And so when that demon in the man of Gadara saw Jesus, he, what did he do? Immediately what? went to his knees because he recognized authority. And he says, thou holy one, thou who is incorruptible. Praise the Lord. There is vastness in Christ and is able to master your uniqueness. What God is inviting you and I to is for us to step and journey into him and start to find what has he chiseled us to become. What has he kept? It says, life and godliness has been kept on my, has been deposited in my inside. Everything that pertained, 2 Peter chapter 1 from verse 2, that pertained unto life and godliness is on my inside. It is up to me to start to work it out. So, the, what I implore you is to work out your salvation with what? With reverence, with trembling. Because the world is yet to see what has been deposited inside you. There is power inside you. There is so much more inside you. Do not waste away. Find it and bless this world with that gift. Bless this world with that gift. You can still be highly spiritual and yet effective in your workplace. You must find that balance. We are not calling you to be priests or pastors or prophets or anything. Find that balance. If you are a medical doctor, be gifted in your hands. Beyond just writing prescriptions, touch people. Let them receive healing. Bring a supernatural touch 
to you, to, to your workplace. When people see over time, they will know that something has changed. Pay the price. Pay the price. Change. Pay the price. In the place of prayer, in the place of word study, in the place of meditation, pay the price. It will be visible to all that you, I mean, your profiting may do what? Appear unto all. Shall we pray, please? I just want you to pray and just say, Father, grant me the grace. If salvation is truly by grace, grant me the grace to explore. Open my eyes to see all that you have prepared and planned for me. In the name of Jesus. We hope you were blessed by that teaching. For further inquiries, please visit our website, www.rccgppp.org. You can also check us on Facebook and on YouTube at rccgpppsk, on Instagram and Twitter at rccgppp. If you are within the city of Regina, Canada, you can join us in person at 1771 Bond Street, S4N, 1X7 for a refreshing time in God's presence.